Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. Welcome to Space 3D. In our second interview for Season 3, co-hosts Emily Carney and Eleanor O'Rangers welcome space historian Jake Allentine to the podcast. As described in Amazon, Jay has a reputation for stripping away technobabble to focus on the intimate human stories behind space missions. His politely uncouth, casual writing style makes the topic accessible and enjoyable while retaining accuracy worthy of a reference tome. Based on our interview, I would wholeheartedly concur with this assessment. In part one of our interview, we ask Jay to describe what exactly is a space historian and then delve into some interesting backstory on his first award-winning book for astronomical literature, Ambassadors to Earth, which details the turbulent early days of solar system exploration based on five years of original research and numerous interviews with those who did the work. This intensive research and drive to dig deep has led to some, well, interesting bumps along the road that might deter a less dedicated space historian. Well, welcome, everyone, to Space 3D. This evening, we are delighted to have Jay Galantine on the line. I'm going to turn things over to my co-host, Emily Carney, to kick off our interview. All right. Well, it's great to be here. Uh, I'll do a little introduction to the speaker. Many of us in the space community who are authors, uh, this is somebody we're a fan of. This uh, gentleman has written two books. Uh, One is called Ambassadors from Earth, and the other is called Infinity Beckoned. Uh, They're both uh, on the uh, University of Nebraska Press on their uh, Outward Odyssey series. One discusses inner solar system missions and one discusses uh, outer solar system missions. He's somebody that a a lot of us, uh, like I said, not just readers, uh, but a lot of us authors are also a huge fan of this uh, huge fan of this guy. So um, it is uh, Jay Galantine. We're really thrilled to have him on our show. And uh, I'm just going to start and, and just cut right to the chase. Um, so, yes, Emily. <laughs> so, I don't know where you're going with this. It's an, it's an honor to be here. I, I really appreciate it. That, that introduction is just so appreciated. It just makes oh, all, no of the, all of the, the solo periods where you're just grinding away trying to put something together it just validates all of that so thank you so much for having me on oh not a problem we're, we're thrilled to have you on okay so i'm just gonna cut to the chase pretty much with the first question um so we're pretty much catching up with you uh after you blew every other speaker off the stage uh <laughs> at, at uh space fest 10 in august if you were invited to the next one which is scheduled in july 2020 um, do you have a tentative talk or topic for a talk or anything that you know interests you, or are you keeping it secret? I, I, I do have a tentative topic, and I'd, I'd love to talk about someone who is pretty near and dear to me on multiple levels, and that would be James Van Allen. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, oh no, we're okay. I might as well not even show up. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well just be like, uh, just screw it. I'm not doing a talk. So, all right, we're going to get blown off the stage next year. Good to know. 
All right. Well, I haven't put it together yet. It, it, <laughs> it could still tank. You, you never know. Um, I, <laughs> I doubt I, it. I think I'm as surprised as anyone that that they they come together. I mean, people have asked me about how the talks come together. They've asked me about how the, the books and the articles come together. And I, oftentimes I'm at a loss to say. I mean, you just... Uh, unfortunately, I'm like the rat in the maze who keeps getting the electric shock and, and keeps going, trying to get through the maze, and I keep getting shocked until I finally get out on the other side and go, I'm not sure how I got from A to B. <laughs> uh, it's, and the process is as much of a mystery as it is to anybody else, I think. Okay. Understand. All right. So that's really cool to know. That'll be really exciting. So uh, next question is kind of a observation and a question. Um, last year, uh, I believe you talked about, and if I get it incorrect, please correct me. Uh, I believe last year's talk was about Luna 15. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what really interested me, and I'm sure the other people who were there for that talk, was um, that you took something uh, probably viewed as way more obscure than Apollo 11, but but yet still related to Apollo 11. Mm-hmm. And um, you made it relatable and not boring to a, a audience mostly comprised of people from the West, because um, it was about a Soviet program. So do you consider yourself a, a space historian, a storyteller, or, or both? You know, I mean, what what do you think about the title of a space historian, you know? Well, I'm. Uh, people have called me a space historian, and when I'm corresponding with someone, especially someone I'm trying to get an interview with, I do refer to myself as a space historian. And people have asked me, well, what does it mean to be a space historian? How is that different from someone who just reads a lot of books? And I'm not sure how to answer that question either. I guess I'd really be interested in your thoughts on that as well, Emily, and and yourself as well, Eleanor, about exactly what it means to be a space historian and I guess the times where I've really tried to answer that, it's come down to going beyond being the enthusiast reader, which is is certainly, I still consider myself an enthusiast reader today, but just really trying to get down to exactly precisely what was going on on something, uh, sometimes what I call the crunchy bits of the story. Um, I think I realized the first time I might have been able to call myself a historian was on my first book, and I spent something like a week trying to get to the bottom of how many pictures the Mariner 4 recording system was able to record, (laughs) whether it was 22 or 24, and I just tore my hair out trying to get to the bottom of it. And then I'm like, why am I so determined on this? And... I think at, at that point I was I was probably able to call myself a historian. <laughs> um, and there was a, one of my first major interviews uh, with someone. He really impressed upon me uh, sort of the responsibility that people like us have when we when we set out to do this. He said, "You know, you're going to put something in a book and." you know, really at the end of the day, the the fact checking is going to come back to you. You can send it out to as many people as you want, but it's your name on the cover and you're going to be responsible for it. And you need to appreciate what you're doing there. And and you need to make sure that you're taking this seriously. And I hadn't really thought about it like that in terms of this thing is going to go out there and have a life of its own. And 
you better make darn sure that you've done your homework on it so that it's as accurate as you can make it. So I guess it's, it's things like that that make me feel like I'm a historian. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good answer. All right. Okay. So I will go to the uh, next question. I'm going to discuss your books now. Um, your first book, uh, Ambassadors from Earth, uh, I believe was published a decade ago uh, with the University of Nebraska Press. Yes, it's been 10 years. I can't believe that. It came out 10 years ago. Holy cow. Yeah, I was looking at the publication dates, and I, I was like, man, it has been since 2009. That is crazy. Well, basically, it's now, um, it won the, uh, I believe I'm getting this right. If I'm not, again, please please call me out. Um, I believe it won the Eugene Emmy Award for uh, Spaceflight Literature. Um, is now, That's right. yeah. It is now basically considered canon in terms of uh, literature. <laughs> When discussing, you know, robotic spaceflight. Um, yet, I, I'm I'm aware, I don't know if the listener is aware, but I am aware that you ran into some bumps while writing this book. Can you discuss some of these bumps with us and uh, legally? And, oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> was there ever a time when you were like, man, this book ain't ever is not going to see the light of day, or I, I'm just going to give up? <laughs> Yes, there were there were quite a few instances of that. Um, there were a few bumps that were considerably larger than how many pictures fit on the Mariner 4 tape recorder. There, there weren't that many of them, but, but the first bump actually was when I sent a draft of the early Ranger chapters off to a man named Jim Burke. And just for the benefit of the listeners, Ranger was really the first time where NASA and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory were working together on a sizable moon program. It was, it was very visible. Uh, everything's out in the open. There was none of this like you know, secret military missile for the Army or something like that, which is what JPL had done a lot of up to that point. And JPL and NASA, in the words of one of the major participants, they, they were making it up as they went along. They were trying to figure out how to crash something into the moon and take a picture on the way in which sounds pretty simple today. I could probably whip that up in a weekend, right? But it was a huge deal at the time. And I had this challenge because here I am trying to write about space probes. And when I first got the project, people would ask what I was writing a book about. And I would say, oh, it's about space probes. And people would usually smile and go, oh. And then they would change the topic to asparagus or something else that was infinitely more exciting to them. And I realized that there was definitely an image problem here. You know, space probes aren't exciting. Uh, they're not glamorous. They don't have stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Nobody has parades for robots. They don't wear uh, white scarves and drive matching Corvettes or anything like that. Uh, we need to do something to make them exciting. And so I was trying to write in more of a, I don't want to call it trumped up, but I was definitely trying to, to punch up my language and, and make the language a little more hip and whatnot. And I'm glad that I had a lot of time to write the book because I, I eventually went back and smoothed that over, but uh, kind of toned it down some. But I sent the draft chapters off to a man named Jim Burke, really great guy, who was uh, Ranger's first project manager. And he was so upset about the quality of the drafts that he wrote a three-page complaint letter to me, to my editor, 
and to my publisher. Wow. Uh, I, did yeah, not I don't know, know if I've ever told you that. Yeah. No, I did <laughs> and, not know this. Wow. And, and I get this in the mail and I mean, he's, I don't have it in front of me here, but, but he called the language vulgar and this is beyond the bounds of decency. And I needed a scrubbing with strunk and white and it went on and on what? for three pages. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll send you a scan. And, <laughs> oh my God. And I, and at this point, at this point, I'm something like 30,000 words into the book. And I'm like, this is over. You know, this was a bad idea. I, I, I should have just stayed with what I was doing. I was such a fool for trying to write this. What in the world am I doing? And, I, and uh, but at the bottom of the letter, Jim Burke was like, okay, I've told you how I feel. Now I'm committed to working with you on this. And it ended up being a great working relationship. And actually, at the, at the evening where I accepted the Emmy Award down in Florida, Jim Burke was there. And I didn't oh, know wow. he was going to be there. Yeah. That's awesome. And we actually talked about it a little bit. And I said, I said, okay, Jim, not a bad turnaround, huh? We go from three-page complaint letter to winning the award. I said, I think that's a pretty good turnaround. And... And he, he congratulated me for, you know, buckling down and, um, and trying to make it, you know, maybe, maybe not as crazy as any cool, but, uh, but still trying to uh, deliver good content and, and have it be relevant and entertaining and all that stuff. And uh, it ended up being a really positive experience. Okay. So that was kind of the first major bump. Um, and then the second major bump was I was trying to do a chapter on the Voyager record. And once again, real quick, for the benefit of the reader, so there are these two Voyager spacecraft who have left our solar system and prominently affixed to the side of each spacecraft is a gold-plated record with pictures on a cover that describe how to assemble this thing and play it using a, a stylus that's also stowed on board the spacecraft. And if the record were successfully recovered by some kind of species who successfully decoded what these picture instructions were telling us, kind of the, the quick start guide for the Voyager record, they would hear the sounds of people saying hello in many languages and babies crying and elephants trumpeting. There's music on there, Chuck Berry and Indian Raga dances and uh, Senegalese drums. Um, there's actually pictures on there of forests and families and buildings and animals. And uh, it's not really a time capsule, but it's sort of this, this greeting from Earth. Uh, one of the most noble things I, I think humanity has ever done, actually. And it all came together under Carl Sagan, who put this team together. And uh, Carl's no longer with us, but I managed to locate a couple of other people who worked on the record. And uh, they both reviewed the material. Uh, they were both interviewed for it. They both uh, approved it. Uh, not that they really had to, but they said, okay, you know, we don't have any problems with it. This, this sounds pretty good. And then one of the guys knew Ann Druyan, who uh, is Carl Sagan's widow. And he said, hey, do you want me to throw this over the fence to Annie? And I'm like, oh, that would be awesome because she worked on the record and uh, made some contributions. And I thought that would be wonderful. And so he sent it off to her and uh, I don't know, a couple weeks later, maybe I got 
really one of the rudest, meanest emails that I've ever received. Oh, my God. Ever. And she said that I had uh, plagiarized her material, that I was acting in bad faith. Um, it was like, Mr. Galantine, where did you get all these crazy ideas? And uh, I can I can send that to you also. It's uh, it, it was really quite something. I was just wow. I, I was just a, appalled at at the tone. Uh, it was just it's just really childish. And at the time that I received that, I was actually struggling to uh, reduce the size of the manuscript because I had turned in two hundred and sixty four thousand words. And the University of Nebraska Press said, you know, we really want it down to 170,000. And, and that was quite a feat. You know, I had to take uh, almost 100,000 words out of it. And wow. in, the, in the email, Andrean had threatened to sue me, you know, if I didn't do what she wanted. And at the time, I just, I just really didn't want to deal with it. Uh, I really wanted to finish this book and get it out. I just, I couldn't imagine this woman coming after me or whatever. And so... Uh, if anyone is ever wondering why the chapter on the Voyager record seems uh, kind of thin oh boy. And, and focuses on the pictures and the music and, in general, things that Andrean had nothing to do with and, <laughs> and doesn't mention her at all, it's because of that email. Okay. And, you know, and that was another thing where I passed it on to my editor, and he was like, holy cow, boy, that seems out of left field. I'm like, yeah, you know, the other people loved it, and they thought it was fine. Um, so that was uh, definitely unexpected. Um, I, you know, what I had expected, honestly, was like, hey, thanks for writing about us, because that's pretty much what everybody else had said. Happened a long time ago. You know, thanks for keeping the story alive. Uh, you know, maybe they have some corrections or whatever, and they pass those along, and that's fine. But it, it wasn't that at all. It was, uh, it, it was, it was yeah. a lot of threats. Did you, do you have any idea what sparked that vitriol? Great question. Um, it would be speculative on my part because I I don't know what she was thinking, right? right? So this is this is purely my speculation uh, because she had talked about how you know I was much more than just an errand girl for the record. I was actually she listed some title that she can't remember, which one of the other Voyager record participants laughed at. He was like, "We didn't have titles. We were just a bunch of people." you know, trying to get this done. We we're all just like students and whatever. It's like, there were no titles. I'm under the impression, Eleanor, that she didn't appreciate the fact that since I was talking about something that Carl Sagan did, that I didn't go before her and ask permission. And like I say, that is purely speculative on my part. But the impression that I had was that the, the biggest thing that Andrean has going on, frankly, is that she's Carl Sagan's widow. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't sort of go to the well. I didn't, I didn't seek her out that this was something that had to be brought to her instead. Um, and that she was reacting to. And I thought, I really thought that I had depicted it quite honestly. Like I said, I had, uh, well, there was a book that all those participants wrote called Murmurs of Earth, and that was a great starting point. Um, and then I had personal contact with two people who are key individuals on the record, 
I think Frank email, uh, Frank Drake threw a couple of emails my way too with some clarifications. So I, I thought my sources were pretty well grounded. Uh, you know, she just <laughs> really did not like the way that I portrayed her. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. So uh, does that answer your question? Oh, that more than answers my question. And now I have my okay. theories, which I won't go into. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting is, uh, is, as you may know, there was kind of this weird love triangle thing going on uh, with, you know, Carl was married to Linda at the time, and Andrewian was actually engaged to another person who was working on the record. And, you know, and then there's like this musical bedroom kind of thing that was happening oh over the course God. of the record screen. And, <laughs> and, you know, and I, didn't, I didn't talk about any of that at all. Uh, because I just, you know, I didn't want the book to be about that, and I just, I didn't want to go in that gossip direction or whatever. I really wanted to focus on the creation of the record. I left all that stuff out. I figured if there was anything that she would have been upset at, it it, it would have been that. But wow, so, so I, I guess not. I guess not. So she ended up being in your dedication to say, and thanks, thanks for helping me reduce my word count by a hundred fifty thousand words. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, really. So, I mean, that was that was seriously an impetus to to trim it down because it got to the point where I was making some hard choices, and then, you know, a lot of people say that uh, that a threat to sue is really empty. That if someone files a lawsuit, okay, that's one thing, and you have to respond to it. But people threaten to sue all the time, and so what if she threatened to sue? But at the time, for me, it's like I'm this 38-year-old person who is trying to get his first book out the door that he's put five years into, and it just seemed to be uh, the path of less resistance to just chop Andrewian out of the book and, and get on with it. And and I was able to clear a lot. I mean, that chapter got cut down by two-thirds, probably. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a good chapter, though. <laughs> well, I think so. <laughs> it's still good. You know, eh, one day hopefully we'll get the unabridged version, the director's cut. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Space 3D featuring Jay Gallantine. Tune in for part two of our interview, where Jay regales us with a rather substantial third bump in the road on the way to publishing Ambassadors to Earth. For Emily Carney and Tom Hill, this is Eleanor Rangers for Space 3D.